I want to welcome you to Central this morning where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I hope that you experience this morning as we come back to At the Table with Jesus series. And this morning we see Jesus with a wee little man named Zacchaeus. I invite you to turn your Bible to Luke 19. We'll be studying verses 1 to 10, or you can follow along in your worship folder. But while you're turning there, let me ask you, have you ever stumbled into a moment in your life that would turn out very differently than you expected it to? And yet Jesus was doing something amazing in the middle of that moment that you didn't expect. The thing that you thought would happen didn't happen, but what did happen changed you. Ever had one of those moments? Sometimes it's through a mess or a a disaster, some kind of embarrassment, and yet we find God alive and at work in those moments beyond what we can see. Sometimes God's purposes and his presence come disguised as detours and messes and defeats, and yet we serve the God who is Lord over all. Let's ask him as we turn to his word, let's ask him to help us understand. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit and help us to see Jesus here. Help us to follow after him. Give us hearts that long to follow as your disciples and make us alive, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I recently came across a Peanuts cartoon strip in which Lucy comes up to Charlie Brown and does something that was very unusual for Lucy. She said, Charlie Brown, I love you. And Charlie Brown in the next scene over says, no you don't. And they had this little argument there for a moment. Lucy says a little bit louder this time, yes, I do. I really love you, Charlie Brown. But Charlie's been rejected so many times, he keeps saying, it can't be true. It just can't be true. And so in the very last square of this comic strip, Lucy had reached the limit of her patience and she screams out, hey, stupid, I love you. I wonder if God has to do something like that with us sometimes. I mean, what does it take to get through to our hearts? Does he have to yell out to us, hey, you shame-trapped person, I love you. Hey, you 
person who's given into that same sin again and again and again. Hey, you, I love you. I wonder if he has to do that with us to shake us and remind us of the depth of his love toward us. We see in the story of Zacchaeus that what happened when Jesus takes a detour into someone's life, he he brings with him a gift of love, a love that in that moment to Zacchaeus' life, undoubtedly it felt like a mess, and yet Zacchaeus' life was set on a completely different trajectory. He was set on a new path as Jesus came to him in Jericho on Jesus' last journey up to Jerusalem, and Zacchaeus wanted to see him. But he didn't want to get too close, certainly not close enough to be confronted by Jesus. So he climbed up in a sycamore tree, and the Middle East, these are trees that have lots of leaves and low branches, so that a short person could climb up in it. And Zacchaeus was there as Jesus came walking by. And when he saw Jesus, when Jesus met Zacchaeus, he was transformed forever. This is not really a story about a wee little man looking for Jesus. This instead is a story of Jesus taking a detour into someone's life, taking a detour to change this wee little man forever, for all eternity. He'll do that with us too. How so? Well, first, at the table with Jesus, he loves us into a new family. He loves us into a new family. Who exactly was Zacchaeus? Well, look at verse 2. Luke tells us he was a tax collector, which meant every one of his fellow Jews considered him a traitor. And not only was a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. He was in charge of it all in that district. You might remember that tax collectors collected revenue for Rome on, uh, from their fellow Jews and gave it over to the empire of Rome. And Rome's military served as bodyguards for tax collectors, a little bit like the goon squad out there helping them do their work was Zacchaeus. He was in charge of it all. And not only was he the chief traitor in the eyes of his fellow Jews, but he was also dishonest. That's how tax collectors made their living. They collected extra money for themselves. If you owed Rome 10 denarii, 10 days wages, and you walk up to the, to the collecting booth there, and if the tax collector is able to, to extract 15 denarii from you, then the extra five belong to the tax collector. So he made his living by extorting money from his fellow Jews. And Luke wants us to get the picture. Zacchaeus was really good at his job. He says he was rich. He had done this a long time and he had done it well. And to add to the problem was his name. Zacchaeus means clean one. It means the pure one. So here he was, one of the most despised people in all the land, and yet he was labeled with this good, holy Jewish name. The pure one whom nobody thought was true, no one thought he was pure, this pure one climbed up into a tree to watch the famous rabbi walk by, just wanting to observe from a distance. But Jesus wanted something more. Jesus called up into that tree to call Zacchaeus into his family. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. That, that little word must is super important, and it's, it's even smaller in the original. It's a little three-letter word that means it's necessary. It is purposed. 
but with a twist. It's necessary and purposed in a divine way. Now think about that for just a moment. Here Jesus was on his way from Jericho up to Jerusalem. If you can orient yourself in the life of the Gospels, this is on Jesus' last journey up to Jerusalem. He's going up there to have the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday to spend his Passion Week in Jerusalem, be crucified at the end of the week, and be raised from the dead. Jesus literally is on his way to being crucified, and yet he takes this detour. It's Jesus whose mission would lead him to the cross and victory in the resurrection. This Jesus whose mission would lead him to save sinners says to this pure one who isn't, My divine purpose is to take this detour and come into your home today. In verses 5 and 7 and 9, it makes it clear that this is not just sharing a meal with Zacchaeus. He wanted to stay a few days. He wanted to, to move in with Zacchaeus for a few days before he goes up to Jerusalem to be crucified. Think about that for a moment. This sin trapped man heard Jesus say, my divine purpose is to come stay with you today. And undoubtedly, it would have been embarrassing in that moment. Verse 7, all the people began to grumble or they began to murmur, as we might say in our world today, saying things like, people like you and people like him don't go together. Rabbi, you should know better than this right now. He is a sinner. But Jesus had already declared what his love intended to do. Zacchaeus, it is God's purpose for me to step into your life, to step into your mess. It's God's purpose for you, for me to detour into your train wreck of a life here. He'll step into your train wreck too. Step into your mess, your disaster, your shame. Are you willing to call out to him and ask him for help today? Let me read in verse 8 how Zacchaeus responded with repentance. The word's not used, but certainly we see it modeled here. That word repentance means to turn around. He turned around. He turned away from his love for his sin, his love for his wealth, his his place. He turned away from all of that toward Jesus. But will you please note the order? Jesus's love came first. Jesus' grace, Jesus' love always must come first to make us alive. If we're going to turn away from our sin in a way that, that changes our life, and not just as afraid of getting caught, but something that we're made new on the inside, a change of our direction, a change of our life, Jesus must love us first. As Romans 2, 4 says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. If you notice what Zacchaeus does not say. He's not standing up in that tree saying, all right, Jesus, here I am. I'm going to stop cheating. I'm going to stop stealing money from my fellow countrymen. I'm going to clean up my act, all the while expecting Jesus to say, that's great, Zacchaeus. You clean yourself up, and I'm going to come to your home and dwell with you. That's not what Jesus says. It's not what Zacchaeus says. Jesus didn't tell Zacchaeus that. He did never say to you and me, if you clean up your life, if you stop doing all that bad stuff, then I'll love you. It's never what God says. Or rather, in spite of who Zacchaeus is, in spite of his collaborating, in spite of him being a traitor, in spite of all he, what he's done, in spite of his reputation, Jesus loved Zacchaeus. Jesus moved in 
to share life with this sinner. He moved into his mess. Jesus found him and and loved him and brought Zacchaeus into his family. His grace and his love always comes first. His grace, his love calls out to us out of our shame. It says, belong to me and my family. But maybe you're a little bit like Charlie Brown this morning, been rejected so many times that it's hard for you to believe that someone could see the worst in you and still love you. Maybe it's hard for you to grasp that someone can see what's really going on in my heart, what's really going on in my life. They see me for who I am and yet still move toward me, still move toward me in love. Maybe that's hard for you to believe because you haven't experienced that a lot in your life. But Jesus does. He sees you for who you are and he still moves toward you in love. His nail-scarred hands prove it. He loves you. Maybe you believe that no one wants you. One, especially if they know my life, no one really wants me. But Jesus does. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, Jesus wants you. And he calls you to come into his family. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Up to this moment, up to this point, Zacchaeus had lived his life as an outcast person. He was despised. He was was ridiculed. He was completely defined by his sin in the eyes of the people in his community. Yet when he met Jesus, when he met the Savior, Jesus announces, you aren't who you were anymore. Jesus loved him into the family of Abraham. He gave him a heritage. Given the heritage of God's covenant promise to I will be your God and you will be my people. He gave Abraham, he gave Zacchaeus a name, a son of Abraham. He gave him a blessing. He gave him a family to which to belong. He gave him a heritage. He will do that for you too. Maybe this morning you feel like you just don't fit. I have no idea where I fit in this life. I have no idea where I fit in this community. I really don't know who loves me. Who loves the real me? That's you this morning. The truth is you just need Jesus like the rest of us. We need Jesus. In fact, that's why he was on this road from Jericho to Jerusalem. He was on this road to Jerusalem to be crucified for sinners and outcasts and rebels like Zacchaeus, like you and like me. He took our place. He took the punishment that we deserve. He took the judgment that we deserve for all of our sin so that by trusting in his work for us, we could be made new. We could be made into a new people and a new family, given a new identity as sons and daughters of promise. Sons and daughters of the promise of life. That's what Jesus does. He takes us where we were. He takes us where he found us in our sin and he was nailed to the cross and he gives you a new family and he says, you belong to me. That's who you are if you've trusted Jesus. You belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who you are. I know that it is easy to hear the voices of condemnation. It's easy to hear that condemnation that we sometimes experience from the crowd murmuring. 
saying things about us, pointing out things about us, and it can lead us to despair. It can lead us to despise ourselves. I know that it's easy to hear those voices of condemnation. It's also maybe even yet a bit easier to look in the mirror and see yourself back there and say, hear that voice inside say, loser. I know who you are. I knew how you've lived your life. But that's not Jesus' voice. That's not what Jesus will say. He looks upon you. He looks upon us as his dearly loved people. And he says, you belong to me. You are my beloved. That's who you are. Jesus finds us trapped in all kinds of sin. And he draws us in love into his family. He gives us a place to belong. He gives us a place to be counted beloved. Do you need that today? Secondly, we see in this passage that at the table with Jesus, he rearranges what we love. He rearranges the love within our hearts. Here's the thing. Jesus finds us trapped in our sin, but he doesn't leave us there. We can't go on living the way that we once did. Since we belong to Jesus by faith, if we've trusted him, he begins to bring freedom from sin into our lives. He begins to transform us and make us different. Jesus, by the power of his spirit, begins to work holiness into our lives. That is, we live for him instead of living for self. What does that freedom look like here in this story? Well, he rearranges what Zacchaeus loves. He really, his grace really can change us. His love can powerfully change us. He did it for Zacchaeus and he can do it for you. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. It's amazing. Zacchaeus pledged half of his wealth to the poor and then to repay restitution for anyone he defrauded. But here's what I want you to know. What Zacchaeus just committed to was way beyond what the law required. No one required him to do that. No one would have asked him to do that. In Israel, in his day, for the crime of extortion, which truly was what Zacchaeus was guilty of, what was required of someone was to repay what was stolen plus 20%. But Zacchaeus voluntarily did so much more. He gave half of all of his wealth, gave it away to the poor, plus he paid a fourfold restitution. Not just 20%, but a fourfold we might think in verse 8, he's trying to wriggle off a little bit here if I've defrauded anyone. But what it really means here is not whether he's defrauded, but to the extent. He's saying, wherever I've taken unlawfully from someone, I vow to repay not just the 20%. I vow to repay four times what I have stolen, way more than what's required. What can make somebody do that? What can make someone who is in love with his wealth, who is defined by his wealth, what could make a self-centered person like Zacchaeus do something like this? It's only the love of Christ that could make someone do something like this. Because Zacchaeus found out here that my stuff doesn't control me anymore. Jesus has changed me. Jesus has changed my love for my money as if that's the highest thing in my life. He says, I'm not going to I can give it away because it doesn't dominate me in the way that it used to. I've been made different. It's incredible, isn't it? 
That love and that welcome from Christ meant so much to Zacchaeus that it began to drive out his love for himself that he used to use people and abuse people. So when the love of God entered into Zacchaeus' heart, it led him to a place of genuine repentance. Jesus loved him, and it changed what Zacchaeus loved. It turned him away from his love for his money toward Jesus. I mean, Elsie is, is the most beautiful, the most lovely. He's, he's worth more than all that I have and all that I am. You see, Jesus is beginning to rearrange Zacchaeus' loves. It's not just about what I have anymore, but it's about who I am in Christ. We know the path of some temporary change, don't we? Sometimes we know if, I, if I'm afraid of getting caught in something, I might change for a little while. Maybe I might just adjust my behavior just a bit. But that's not what happened to Zacchaeus. This was more lasting change. This is more permanent change. This is the loves of his heart beginning to be rearranged, not just trying to manage his reputation in front of other people. Jesus was involved in his heart and his life and bringing him freedom, freedom from the enslavement to his sin, freedom from the enslavement to managing his reputation and his wealth. That's what Jesus does by his grace and his love, he begins to shape us into being different people, new people. What do you need for him to do for you? I wonder what sin has a grip on your heart. What sins are lodged deep within and you, you hate it, but you just can't seem to get on the other side of it. It keeps coming back and you fall prey to it again and again. It's what the Puritans used to call a besetting sin. Sins that are lodged deep in our heart, and no matter what we do, we can't get on the other side of them. What Jesus wants us to know is he is able to dislodge those sins. He is able to bring heart change. He's able to bring freedom into my life and your life. He did it for Zacchaeus, and he can do it for you. He can do it for me as well. Maybe you think about Zacchaeus' circumstances what living for Christ looked like for him, what walking in repentance looked like for Zacchaeus. And maybe you wonder, do I have to repair the wrongs in my life in the way that Zacchaeus did? Is that what repentance truly looks like? Is this the fruit of love and the fruit of repentance that I have to address the wrongs of my sin have done to people? It's a great question. And the short answer is yes. I know that feels like a lot. It may feel like a burden, but it can only happen in a heart that has truly been set free by Jesus, a heart that has been set free from enslavement to sin, from enslavement to our reputation, enslavement to managing our image in front of people. And the Lord's the only one who's able to do that. What he calls us to is as far as we can, he calls us to do whatever we can to repair the damage that our sin has done to other people. It's the fruit of repentance. It's what it looks like in our lives. As far as we are able, wherever we are able, Jesus would call us to repair the damage that our sin has done to other people. For example, if you've harmed someone by slandering them, you have a responsibility not only to ask for forgiveness, but also to take the step of correcting the situation. 
confess what you've done and seek to restore the reputation of the person you've harmed. Or if in relationship with a friend or a spouse or even one of your children, harsh words have come out of your mouth, have flowed from your heart, and it's resulted in a broken spirit. Living in repentance and living in freedom calls us not only to ask for forgiveness, but seek to repair the damage that's been done by harsh words. Try try to speak blessing over a friend or a child or a spouse when they've experienced the harm of curse from us. Parents, it's never too late. It's never too late to repent. It's never too late to go to your children and say, I'm sorry, I know what I said was wrong. Will you forgive me? And then speak blessing over them. Speak truth over them. It's never too late. It's never too late to seek to repair the damage that our harsh words may have caused. Kids, same is true for you. It's never too late to repent before your parents. It's never too late to try to repair the damage that has been done in that relationship. It's never too late to say to your mom or dad, I know that my eye roll said I disrespect you. Will you forgive me? And then take the next step. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know I appreciate you. Words of blessing where there have been experiences of cursing and harm. In whatever way that we have sinfully taken advantage of another person, we have a responsibility to try to restore and repair. If you've neglected your family, repent and reorganize your schedule so that they're the priority. If you've been lazy, ask Jesus for strength to help you get to work. What is it where he's calling you to repent? What is it in your life where he's calling you to turn away from a sin that has enslaved you for far too long and walk in freedom and in the fruit of repentance? That can feel like too much, can't it? It can feel like that's a mountain that's too high to climb. That's just, you're asking too much of me, Jesus. That's a burden that I can't bear. The only answer is to turn again to Jesus. The best way to expel the love of our sin from our hearts is to open our hearts to the love of Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. It's in the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection where the power to repent is found. It's in returning to that love of Jesus that led him to the cross for you and that power of Jesus in the resurrection that he declares victory over all of our sin, returning again and again to that love of Christ poured out for you. That's what will give power to live in freedom, power to walk in freedom as his child. And he says it's available to you today. By his spirit, it's available to you today. It's available to you right now. The best way to expel love of sin from our hearts is to open our hearts again to the love of Christ, the one who was crucified and was raised from the dead for you and for me. Maybe you're here this morning and you're asked, can Jesus really do that for me? Can, can he really push out love for my sin from my heart? Can, can, can he really do that? Because that seems too good to be true. Seems like that's a little too hard. Can he do that for me too? So look at this congregation, this sanctuary this morning. I see lots and lots of stories that demand a resounding yes. He's able to do that. 
I see people in this room who were slaves to their morality. I'm going to be good enough for God. I'm going to live the right kind of life and God's going to love me. And yet Jesus found you when you were trapped in that being enslaved to being good enough. And instead of finding a Jesus of scorn, you find that he's a God of love. He's willing to walk close with you. I see people in this room who were lonely, who've been outcast by their family, outcast by society and friends, and yet you were found by a Savior who loves you, and he placed you in a community that's received you and has begun to love the loneliness away. It's happening here in this room. I see some people here who are trapped in addictions, and they find freedom to be honest about their need and to tell the truth about what's going on in their lives, and they expect to have strength from Christ and from other believers in this church to struggle against that addiction and to find freedom. I see people are walking in immeasurable pain right in this very moment, and yet they found strength to stand because they've tasted of the love of God for them. There are some people in this room who have been deeply hurt been betrayed by people who are close to them. And yet at Jesus' feet, they found the power to forgive another day, the power to walk in that, in that forgiveness. Can he do something like that for me? Of course he can. This congregation is a testimony to all that he can do. He can bring love. He can bring freedom in your particular place of need. What I see in this church as a people who once were lost, and yet Jesus met you. He met you at some place that may have felt like a detour, some mess, some disaster, some embarrassing place, and yet he met you there powerfully to bring love into your life that has changed you forever. That's what we have as God's people. Can he do it for you? Of course he can. Let's pray. Father, we... We testify that we are people who do not deserve your love. We are people who have sinned against you and rebelled against you in any way imaginable. We are a people who have hurt one another. And yet you are the God who has loved us still. You come into our lives even sometimes at a place that feels like we're, we're in the middle of a train wreck. And yet you step in with a redeeming and healing love. Would you do that? for your people here. I pray you would do that for people who've never known you before. May today be the day that they know the gift of salvation, the gift of healing, the gift of forgiveness, and the gift of having the power of sin broken in their lives. Lord, we can't do any of that ourselves. We testify that you are the only one who can. And so as a community of faith, as a church, as a body of people committed to love you and follow you, Lord, we say you are able to change us from the inside out. We ask that you do it here, do a work of revival and renewal in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.